Amen. You may be seated. Well, this evening we continue our study through really our our desire to build a a sound doctrine and using the London Baptist Confession as a, a vehicle for that and encourage you next week. I want to see how many can have Romans 5.15 memorized next week. All right, so maybe a challenge out to each of us. And uh, Romans 5.15, and it's at the top of uh, your, your study guide. As we've been walking through, again, we began with Scripture. Scripture reveals who God is. Because of who God is, we understand what he has done and his decrees. And his decree, first of all, was that of creation and then the fall of man and of sin. We see this in, par- in chapter 6, in paragraph 4. From this original corruption, whereby we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good, and wholly inclined to all evil, do proceed all actual transgressions. We see here in this paragraph the statement of what Scripture teaches about the reality of sin. The, the reality of sin is, is not just some idea out there or some concept that was written about in a book, but it is a reality that we face each day. The source of the, that sin is bound in that original corruption. What's that mean by when it says original corruption? Point us back to Adam. To Adam's sin. I think it's the New England primer would, would, uh, for A, as in Adam all die. From the beginning of elementary education, A was learned, the letter was learned to understand that truth. As in Adam all die. The source of is Adam, the corruption. But the corruption was not just left at the source, but it saturated, it impacted all of us. And the the saturation, as the confession says, we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good, and wholly inclined to all evil. You, you, You think that we could just take one of those phrases... But the, the compounding, the, the totality of that statement. Like the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, 6. But we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Now if we were to read Isaiah's words improperly, maybe we could twist them to think well that's just kind of part of mankind those kind of people but Paul helps us to see the truth in Romans chapter 3 we read this earlier today in verses 10 to 12 as it is written there is none righteous no not one there is none who understands there is none who seeks after God they have all turned aside together excuse me they have Together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. 
the confession like the Apostle Paul in Romans 3 lines it out in such a way that we can't wiggle through and say, well, well, that's not me. Or to say, well, we're, we're just kind of sinful. But we understand that everything inside of us desires sin all the time. There is no desire in our sinful nature to follow God's ways. In John 6, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent him draws him. Draws, sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. We love so, sin so much that we are enemies of God. And again, if we don't begin with God, we can twist this. And to say, well, God's not really holy, therefore we're not really sinful, and we can kind of work this out in the middle. But when we begin with a big view of God, we understand that even the smallest of sin is reprehensible to God. It is what separated Adam and Eve. If we talk about kind of on that scale, a big sin or a little sin, to eat of a tree, come on, is that really a big deal, God? Really such a big deal enough to have cast Adam and Eve out of the garden? To place cherubim in front of it with flaming swords? Isn't that a little overkill, God? But when we diminish the holiness of God, of course we can create a gospel that we want, that makes us feel good, that makes it accomplishable by man. But when we begin with God, we see that we are utterly indisposed. We are corrupted because of Adam, and we are disabled, wholly inclined to do all evil. But notice, at the end of paragraph 4, it says, do precede all actual transgressions. At first, I kind of wondered, what? why did they put this here? And as I thought about it, as I was reading some on it too, I realized that the, the reason I think they put this here is because we could begin to say, well, we're sinners, not because of what we have done, but because of what Adam did. But what the confession is helping us to see is what scripture is pointing at is that all of us are sinners, not just because we inherit it from Adam, but that every action of ours from our conception is an actual sin. That we're not only a sinner because of Adam, we are a sinner because of Adam, and proof of that is because of our own sin. We actually sin, not just have a sinful nature. David in Psalm 51, in his confession to the Lord, says, Against you, you only have I sinned. He recognizes that it was his own action. And it's not just those big actions like that of adultery in Psalm 51, but all sin is against God. The writer of Proverbs in 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Really, the... The, the uh, analogy there is sinfulness is bound up in the heart of a child. We all have sinned. Think of Romans. For all have, what? Sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, that, that might seem basic, but we like to make excuses for everything. And we're left guilty. 
as Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. We're brought into that same group. There is not us and them. There is all have sinned. And we are utterly disposed to do it. The reality of sin is what separates us from God and puts us in need of a Savior. Again, when we understand this lostness, then we can understand the gospel rights that we are left only for God to save us, that there is not what's called a provenient grace in Arminianism, that, that God has given us that ability to choose him or not to choose him. For it's not spoken of anywhere in Scripture, for we have no ability in ourselves. Paragraph 5, again, speaks. For, paragraph 4 looks at, at the corruption really of of all in the reality. But paragraph 5 helps us to clarify what does it mean in the the regenerate person's life, in the believer's life. It says, The corruption of nature during this life does remain in those that are regenerated. Again, what we mean by regenerated is meaning the Holy Spirit has made us alive, Ephesians 2, but we understand that God is the one who does that. It says, and although it be through Christ pardoned and mortified, yet both itself and the first motions thereof are truly and properly sin. I put in my notes, the remnant of sin. Again, we have to understand vertically before God, when we are saved, we are free. We are declared righteous not because of our righteousness we are clothed in Christ's righteousness but that doesn't mean that when the Holy Spirit wakes our heart changes as as we see in the Old Testament a heart of stone to a, a heart of flesh that all of a sudden we get these magic powers never to sin again and paragraph five is helping us to understand that that it's not just that we're transported but that we still have a battle with sin. It is not the battle of sin to determine our salvation. It is the battle of sin in the working out of our salvation in the work of sanctification. Really quickly, salvation is of God. It is, Gary used the term, uh, monergism monergistic, that meaning mono, one, that God alone saves. But our sanctification is a work of God, and the means by which we are sanctified, made more like Christ, is our obedience. In the end, we cannot do it in our own strength. It is God in us. But we understand the remnant of sin, even in those whose hearts have been changed, we continue to sin. The Apostle John was writing, and in 1 John he says, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. So who is he writing to? He's writing to the regenerate. 
And he says the, this thing, these things in verses 8 to 10 of 1 John 1. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. What is he saying? Hey, believers, recognize that we too are sinners. From a salvific standpoint, we have to confess we have sin. But also from a, a, a sanctification, we have to recognize we still battle sin. He says, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Notice he says, if we say we have, it's a present tense. While we have victory over sin in regards to our salvation, we can still see sin's impact in our life why the writer of hebrews says in hebrews 12 laying aside every weight that so easily entangles us that's that picture of setting aside the sin putting away the deeds of the flesh as the apostle paul says in galatians and ephesians for the reality is a christian still struggles with sin i was thinking wouldn't it be nice if god just gave us the freedom from that But what does the struggle with sin cause us to do? It causes us to remain dependent upon him for strength for every day. That it's not like God saves us and all of a sudden it's like this easy life. Then we become so arrogant thinking, hey, I've got this figured out. But the sin is what keeps us humble before the Lord. The the sin of recognizing that I battle this every day. And God in his infinite grace gives us opportunities to see victories, little victories, but we never see the final victory until the day we die or till he comes home, comes back. We are not made perfect and not to sin at regeneration. We presently sin. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Again, our sin is like Galatians 5.17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. I meant to put in, in the notes, Romans chapter 7. I, uh, I happened to just be listening to a random sermon by John Snyder this week, uh, who did the Behold Your God series, and he, he's in Romans 8, but in doing an overview, he said, Romans 7 reminds us of our weakness, that we need to be reminded that we are weak. And I thought, wow, that's right up the alley of where we are this week, of in considering our, the, the sinfulness that the Apostle Paul speaks of his, his weakness. When he says in verse 17, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. 
He says again and again, the things that I'm trying to do, I'm failing. And the things that I'm trying not to do, I'm doing. Why? Because the Apostle Paul is showing us this application that we are weak to sin. Again, not that, not that we are not saved, but even in the regenerate, we battle sin. This is a place where we can really face the attacks of our adversary. He's called the accuser of the brethren, accusing us of our sin. And should we see the, the pattern of sin in our life as believers? No, habitual sin should not be evident, but we will see sin. We will see the battle day in and day out. But it causes us again to go to God. As Sam Waldron in his uh, exposition on the confession, he says, speaking about this, this guards the humble Christian against the bondage of feeling that because he still struggles with sin, he is a second-class Christian, or perhaps no Christian at all. It also exposes the Pharisaism, which concentrates on external conformity to God's law and thus avoids really confronting its own depth of depravity. Again, we see those two errors feeling like there's no way we could ever have victory over sin as a believer. That there's a sin entangled us. Yet, as 1 Corinthians 6, it it gives us this list of all these sins, and it says, such were some of you. What a great promise. What a great promise, even in that passage when a homosexual says, I can't, I'm born that way. No, God changes our lives. That such were some of us, and we all have our list of what God has done in our life. Such were some of us. But we've never hit perfection because there's still other areas that we're working on. And that is the work of sanctification in our life. But praise be to God. He is faithful to do that work. He continues to do that good work in our life. To see that change, to see his work of salvation producing that fruit and why does it produce fruit for his glory let's pray father it's a a humbling thing to be reminded of our sinfulness but lord when we are humbled we're reminded of your grace that saves Lord, it is not of our works, lest any of us should boast, but it is by your grace that you have saved and that you are continuing to save. And Father, as we live these lives in in these bodies of flesh, still living in a world and impacted by sin, we ask for your strength. Lord, Help us to not be proud, thinking that we have particular sins mastered. But may we be humble, relying on the strength that you give us to live. Lord, for each sin, may we continue to go to the cross 
and to find that promise of 1 John 1, 9 as a, as a great hope, as if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, may you find that happening regularly in our lives. For your name's sake we pray. In Christ's name, amen.